Hello, Pastor Steve Waldrum of Biblical Archaeology Today. I am so grateful you're here with us, and I am very thankful to be your host. I was just looking at some of my notes of things to do in the future, the Great Wall of China, which I've done just a very little bit on that, and the Hagia Sophia in uh, Turkey. <laughs> Anyhow, there's a lot in biblical archaeology. We're coming up on somewhere close to 1,500 episodes. This is season 41, episode 16. So we're so grateful you're here with us. Please share with your friends. Thank you again, long-time listener or first-time listener. Couldn't do it without you, and so obviously couldn't do it without God. So let's look here. We're in Archaeology Magazine, September, October 222. We're looking at the Temple of Amenhotep III, Mortuary Place, the Dazzling City of Aton. All of this just freshly discovered, just when you think you found everything you can find in a place like Egypt, so much more becomes available. And so they've got a little side piece by Daniel Weiss here on page 32 called Tut the Antiquarian. So I thought you might find that interesting. 222, of course, was the century anniversary of the finding of this maybe almost most famous of all archaeological finds. I mean, I know the Dead Sea Scrolls, huge and... You know, Napoleon finding, he really didn't find the Great Pyramid and the Sphinx, but, you know, he had it excavated and all this. But let's get started here. Thanks again for being here. In the century since archaeologist Howard Carter discovered the Pharaoh Tutankhamun's tomb and revealed its magnificent contents to the world. I mean, he's a minor Pharaoh, too, and died young, and he was crippled. And so what were some of these guys, you know, if they found their, their gold? So scholars and enthusiasts alike have been fascinated by the insights they provide into the life of a powerful Egyptian ruler more than three millennia ago. By studying some of the more unassuming items in the tomb's inventory, a set of 11 alabaster vessels, Egyptologist Martin Biomas of Markeri, let me make sure I pronounce that right, Markeri University, which I'm unacquainted with that, I was thinking it said Marquette at first, but it's McCary University, has found evidence that Tutankhamun himself also took a keen interest in his country's past. Balmas says these vessels were originally used by some of Tutankhamun's illustrious predecessors, whose names were inscribed on them. The Pharaoh Thutmose III, who reigned more than a century before Tutankhamun, noticed the MOSC at the end showing Moses' name was common in that time period as well as the boy king's grandparents, Amenhotep III and Tai, T-I-Y-E. The vessels held emulsions, creams, and oils, residues of which were still present when Carter opened the tomb in 1922. I think that's incredible. Uh, and on one of our recent podcasts, we showed a relief, talked about a relief of Amenhotep III putting mascara on, I think, which that was all shocking to me. And why he did it. I've got a good little black and white picture of a jug from King Tut's tomb. They've had some things recently, you know, trying to track down certain things from Tut's tomb. I did a couple podcasts on that. At least one. These were not artifacts that you put on your mantelpiece. They were in daily use, says Balmas. So we're looking at the culture of King Tut's time. The interesting thing is they were restored over a period of time, perhaps even in Tutankhamun's lifetime. Given that such vessels could have been made quite cheaply, 
Question is why Tutankhamun didn't request new pots inscribed with his own name. Bomus believes the young pharaoh opted to use these antiquated objects as a way of surrounding himself with the aura of history. At some point, as part of his education, Tutankhamun would have asked, Who are my forefathers? Who is my granddad? said Bomus. Now, they may have taught him all that. We have no idea if he asked that or if they just said, Look, you come from a long line of people who claim to be God. I don't know, or the sun god or something. And they would have looked through the palaces and collected the vessels and said something like, this is the pot that Thutmose III used after his uh, Euphrates campaign. This would have been a wonderful way for Tutankhamun to link with his past. All that speculation, obviously. Could have went a totally different way. In particular, Bomas suggests, but it may have been the way Mr. Bomas says, the vessels may have been a way for Tutankhamun to reconnect with traditions, that held sway before his father, the pharaoh Akhenaten, shifted Egypt's religious focus from the creator god Amun-Ra to the god of light Aten. So that's all a fascinating switch. He's thing in culture. Jeremiah asked, can a nation change their gods? As Tutankhamun made clear in the so-called Restoration Stella found at the Karnak Temple, Akhenaten's religious experiment had been a disaster for the country. See, he was a young man writing that. The temple and cities of the gods and goddesses were fallen into decay, and their shrines were fallen into ruin, having become mere mounds overgrown with grass, he writes. According to Bamas, the problem with Tutan, for Tutankhamun was to reconnect with the time before Atonism. There was no other way for him to study history, but to study history, and these vessels informed him about the importance of the Egyptian past. It could have had something to do with the afterlife, too, just meeting them in the afterlife. You know, I brought your cup, you left. (laughs) They did think in those terms and categories, evidently. So, God bless. Thanks for being here. Join us daily. Leave us a five-star review. Share with your friends, family, church family. Subscribe, and we will talk with you later. God bless you. Bye-bye.